0: And this morning, we want to end our uh, month of discussions on Christmas. Uh, we've been looking at the women of Christmas. And, of course, um, as we've been going through this, uh, we looked at Luke's narrative because Luke, um, he like I said, Luke is my favorite gospel because, you know, he gives just uh, a very, very human touch and he paints faces in all that he does. Uh, when I was uh, first starting our church, I had a, a pastor visit me. His son uh, was uh, from Dallas, Texas, and he worked with the Urban Alternative, the father did. And he came and he listened to me preach. And he said, "He said Pastor, pastor Ray he said, that was some good teaching. He said, now you just need to learn how to preach. <laughs> and uh, once I got over that, uh, well, he, t- he told me what he meant. He said, you know, preaching and teaching are different. You know, it's like when you teach, you you get a canvas and, you know, you, you paint the background. You know, you, you put the sun up there and the, the clouds and the trees and, you know, the flowers and you put the road and everything, all of that. That's teaching. He says, but then you come along afterwards and you put people in the picture. He said, that's preaching. Unless people can, can see themselves in the picture and identify with it, it really doesn't mean a lot to them. And out of all of the things that I've ever been taught about ministry, that was, that was perhaps the best thing. So I said, okay, I'm I'm, going to try to learn how to preach. And I've been working on that for a long time. (laughs) That being said, uh, we have Brother Joel read a rather um, extended passage from Luke chapter uh, 2 there, dealing with um, Simeon. And, of course, we're dealing with the women of Christmas, and I had not read that because I'm only going to deal with verses 36 through 38, which don't deal with Simeon at all. They come after that. But you'll see why, why we, we're going through that. Verses 36 through 38 said, Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years after her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, this is the instant uh, where Simeon was talking that Brother Joel read about, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. I want to talk this morning in conclusion about Anna, the seasoned seer. Anna, the seasoned seer. Father, thank you so much again for this day. Thank you for loving us, as you do, as always. And thank you for the things that you've allowed us to to look at and to talk about, uh, beginning again with the very first hour, 9.30 Sunday School, uh, when uh, our day begins. And uh, Father, thank you for those of us uh, who have uh, heeded the call to build ourselves up on our most holy faith in that way. And thank you for the discussions uh, as we benefit from the insights and discoveries uh, and the peer mentor one another in discussing of your word. Thank you for the teachers uh, who facilitate those discussions and uh, the things that we're learning together about one another, even as we learn about our Lord and about your will and your word and, and your ways. Thank you for that process. And Even, Father, as we've been able to sing and hear some great singing and been able uh, to greet one another and just um, encourage each other. Now, Father, it's all in my thinking prelude uh, because my favorite part is where I get to hear from you, and I treasure that, Father. We treasure every word that you speak to us, and we thank you for the privilege of hearing the King of Heaven uh, Pronounced to us, his his desire, his design for life. So we ask that you will still our hearts. Uh, may we not uh, be preoccupied like Martha with various and sundry things, but like Mary, sit at your feet in rapt attention and allow us to glean from that which you say and. So always, Father, um, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the thanksgiving for the privilege of hearing. But also, Father, thank you for hindering the work of the wicked one who would desire to steal this most valuable treasure from our hearts. we will thank you for the privilege of uh, being able to hear undisturbed the word of God. We ask these things in Jesus's name and thank you for them for his sake, Father. Amen. I was... um, Reading an article one day, and of course, um, it says it, it talks about seven ways to become a better listener. Now, I have to admit, I, I I was drawn to this because of my wife, because you know she's she's a very good listener, and she she remembers things that people tell her all the time, and so. I decided as a young man that when I grew up, I was going to be like her. So I'm, I'm trying to learn to be a better listener. So here's some things that they say, seven ways to become a better listener. Number one, when you're listening, listen. <laughs> Don't talk on the phone or text or do anything else. Number two, avoid interruptions. And number three, spend at least 90% of your time listening and less than 10% of your time talking. That's a problem for me. I usually wait for you to take a breath so I could get my thoughts in. Number four, when you do talk, use questions to clarify, expand, and probe for more information so that you understand what the other person is actually talking about. Number five, do not offer advice unless the other person asks you for it. (laughs) Uh, I am not the shell answer man, uh, and I should not act like it. You know, most of the time people ask you stuff, they're they're sounding, they're just venting, and they're not really asking you for advice because they don't know what to do. They just need to talk to somebody so if you cut them off to share your thoughts, you're not really helping them. Anyway, that's, that's beyond what we're talking about. Uh, number six, if you are not sure what they want, <laughs> then ask. I never assume that you know what they want you to do. Just ask them. And then number seven, make sure the physical environment is conducive to listening. Try to avoid noise and distractions. Don't listen to them while the game is on. You know, or one of your favorite songs and you're saying, oh, I love this part. Why the venting, you know, listening is an art. And I I find that that when I become adept at listening, uh, then I can hear the things not only that the person is saying, but more than that, I can hear the thing that God is saying, because I find that very often. God speaks to me. uh, He speaks to me from his word and I want to be listening to him constantly every day in fact i don't want to go a day without hearing his voice and god he speaks to me through other people as well and so i want to be able to listen to what he has to say and i, I mention that because you know when we think about uh this lady anna uh, she's a very good listener and we can learn some things from her and we've been going through this series first of all we started looking at elizabeth Elizabeth can help me see that Christmas is a season of problems, right, and privilege and personal growth and praise. And then we, last week, we looked at Mary. Right? Mary is a great role model, right? Like us, she's, you know, nobody special. <laughs> uh, she has a common background, but she had character, and she was under a contract to her husband, Joseph. Um, she was called by God to bring the son into the world, and uh, to display him to the world, and of course she was compliant, regardless of the inconveniences that were going to come her way, the complications that would come. you know uh, she said you know i 'm the lord's servant i 'll do whatever he wants me to do, and that 's a great, great thing for all of us and so we want to pick up the story. we want to work our way down uh, to the verse, but let's let 's begin uh, with verse twenty one This is on the other side of the Christmas story, of course. Uh, Jesus was born already, and then in verse 21, uh, we find that eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child. Uh, He was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And I wanted to pause there for a minute, uh, because when it says the baby was circumcised. I, I was reading Um, this week and and a thought struck me um, that you know when in fact I put it down Galatians 5 it says if you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised you must obey all the regulations in the whole law of Moses and I I don't remember which commentator said it but he said he said you know when, when Jesus when he was circumcised what he did, he obligated himself to fulfill the whole law. And, and that's, that's the point. Christ entered into our world and he came under the law. And you know, Paul says in Galatians 3, the law brings a curse. Why? Because we can't keep the law. If I was going to uh, make myself right before God, then I would have to keep all of the law of God. And never, ever, ever violate any of its tenets, and so for me, you know the law becomes a a, a thing of judgment it 's a curse because all the law does is point out to me the stuff that I could never, ever do, and so the law becomes an instrument of judgment for me, it condemns me because it points out the fact that you know. I'm, I'm not right, and not only am I not right, I don't even have it in my heart to always want to be right. And so the law condemns me. Nobody can be made right with God by keeping the law. But then Jesus, when he was circumcised, he he came under under the law, and what he did is he grew up thirty years, thirty-three years, and all. And he perfectly kept the law. In fact, Jesus did the very thing that I could never do. And so now, you know, this this may seem like a very small thing. But here's what I want to say. Jesus, he saved me. He saved me from the penalty of sin by his death. But he delivered me from the curse of the law by his life. Because what Jesus did in coming under the law and perfectly fulfilling all the requirements of the law, then he credits all of that to my account. So then God looks at me and he calls me righteous, not just because Christ died for my sins, but because Christ accomplished all the righteousness that I needed before God. I'm saved by the righteousness of Christ, the life that he lived. And so it was good that, as Hebrews 2.14 says, he, he took on flesh and blood so that he could fulfill all righteousness. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And, and see, that's important because, you know, sometimes, you know, you have people of alternate faiths and, you know, all the other views, all the religious views have one thing in common. They all try to do something that would endear you to God. And none of them can because none of them can change what I am. I'm a sinner. And and you know how it is. You you know, you have that that picture and the the container, (laughs) okay, glass container. My mom used to have this big ceramic bowl that she would make tea in. I told you about that. Uh, And, you know, that thing, if there was a crack in it and, you know, the tea began to spill out of it, I would not look at that and say most of the bowl is good. I would say the bowl is cracked because even though it might just be one little small part, it is one bowl. And it all functions as one unit. And if I break one little part of it, the whole thing is broken. And that's the law. No one can keep the whole law of God. So no one can ever say, I'm going to make myself right before God. Only as Jesus was able to accomplish righteousness for me can I be saved. And that's an important point for us to always keep in mind mind. Galatians 3 How different from this way of faith. The faith that trusts God uh, is the way of the law, which says, if you wish to find life by obeying the law, you must obey all its commands. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoings, for it's written in the scriptures, curses is everyone who was hung on a tree. And he says, through the work of Christ, his righteousness, i may made right with God by the righteousness of Christ. I, I skipped um, the, the verses, uh, verses three and following Lydia and Glenn went to the next slide. That's okay. Go to go on to the next one after that. Let's talk about Anna. All right. And why she's a wonderful example. Now, after Christ was circumcised, uh, verse twenty-one. After eight days, um, they the, the law says that when a woman has a child, if she if she has a, a boy, uh, then she's unclean for seven days. Then, after seven days, uh, she has to circumcise him because the eighth day is when all the antibodies antibodies kick in for the child his immune system kicks in strongly and that's the best way they to circumcise a child the eighth day and so he's circumcised the eighth day and then she has to remain unclean for 33 more days so that there's a total of 40 days and then after 40 days then she has to take him up to the temple to present him and so you know maybe that's why you know when when we were younger and uh, ladies got pregnant. They stayed in the house for six weeks. You know, it's about 40 days, right? Um, because, well, God said, stay in. You're unclean for 40 days. Now they kick you out of the hospital in eight, mo- eight hours, it seems like. And the next day you're home with the baby. You know. Anyway, after 40 days, then they needed to take him up to... Jerusalem verse 22 when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord because as is written uh, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons now if you go back to Leviticus 12 what you find is that uh, they are they you're to bring a lamb and offer the lamb. And he says, if you can't afford a lamb, then bring two young pigeons, two, two, you know, two turtle doves or young pigeons. And so what we know is that Joseph and Mary, they didn't have very much money because they couldn't afford to bring a lamb. They were they were very poor individuals. In fact, they remained poor all the way up until the Magi came and the Magi gave them gold and myrrh, et cetera which was enough for them to make their journey to Egypt and stay into Egypt until Herod had passed away. God provided for them. But as they were there presenting Jesus, then verse 25 says this man, Simeon, came on the scene. And notice what it says about Simeon. Well, just quick recap. It says he was verse twenty-five. He was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do according to, to for him according to the custom of the law. Then, verse 28 says, he took him up in his arms. And the way it, it reads, in the original, there's a lot of ands there. It says, this man, Simeon, uh, was this way, and this took place, and this took place. It's, it's almost like, like Luke is saying, well, see, see, see. What had happened was, you know, uh, uh, Simeon came in, and, and and the Holy Spirit had told him that he wouldn't die until he saw the Lord's Christ, and and then he brought him into the temple. And meanwhile, Joseph and Mary are coming to do what God had prescribed for them to do. And it says, and then, verse twenty-eight, when he saw Jesus, he he took him up in his arms. I'm struck by just a, a simple thought here. He blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, God had promised him that he would not be dismissed from life until he had seen God's salvation. And then he looked at this child and he saw In this child, the salvation of God. You know, for the rest of his life, there were a lot of people that saw Jesus. There were a lot of people that saw him perform miracles and they got fed. And, you know, some saw him walk on water. You know, there were a lot of people that saw a lot of Jesus. And for the overwhelming majority of them, none of them looked at him and saw in him the salvation of God. But this this older man, this seasoned man, somehow in his walking with the Lord, he's able to look at this baby and say, this is what we've been waiting for. And I, I love the way he says this. He said, now the verse 29, it starts off, baby, your translation, Lord... But the word there isn't kurios, the word for Lord. Normally, the word is despotase. It's the word master. He's saying, master, now you let your servant, your slave, your bond slave depart in peace. You're dismissing me from service, master, because now you've kept your word and you've allowed me to see what you said you would do. You know, I was telling my wife, because I we were coming in today I said you know it's, it's interesting that you know the whole narrative around the birth of Christ do you know it begins with two old people and it ends with two old people you know I, I, I said now I, I'm not saying there's a theological point to be made with that but it seems that God God has a special love for these elderly saints who waited on him all their lives and who walked with him in faithfulness. And he held out a special promise just for them. You know, in our society, we don't care much for the elderly. We just, they don't don't work anymore. They don't pay taxes anymore. Well, we tax on Social Security. But, you know, we we just, they're not as useful. And we just want to push them to the side. But God doesn't. God looks at the years of faithfulness and rewards them. And, you know they're able to see something that a lot of us can't see in fact I, i've learned as i gotten older to appreciate the elderly you know i was thinking about their food today i'm like you know what you know you have the young ladies and you have the older ladies now who you want to cook right <laughs> i'm serious i'm like Young lady, y'all, y'all just get married, at our babies, and raise them. All right. Let the, let the seasoned ladies do the cooking, man. I just, okay, let me stop there. I'm sorry. But there's something to be said about seasoned saints. And, you know, they're precious in the sight of God. And as he's, he's saying this about, he says, Your my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared before the face of all peoples, are like to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon is saying, listen, this child is going to bring salvation to the whole world, not just our people, but all people. Now, do you know how long it took the disciples to get to the point where they recognized that, oh, God has something for the Gentiles too? It's not just about us, but this man could see it when Jesus was just a little baby. What great spiritual insight he had. And then, of course, it says, Joseph, verse 32, and his mother marveled at those things that were spoken. Then Simeon blessed them. And, of course, he gave a word of warning. The child is destined for the fall and rising of men in Israel and Mary. There's going to be some piercing in your heart, too. There's going to bring some sorrow as well meanwhile verse 36 says now there was anna it, it literally says likewise in the same way just as simeon the old older man was blessing the lord and could see something special here you've got anna this seasoned seer Why why i call a seer because she's a prophetess okay and the Old Testament term for prophet is the seer, okay? But anyway, she's listening, she's taking it in, and then she catches the vision, and then she begins to talk about it. And that's that's where we want to pick up. There are three things about Anna that make her a wonderful example for you and me. And I just want to mention those three things just real quick, and then, hey, we'll be done, all right? Number one, Anna is a wonderful example because, number one, she, she had an important calling. She had an important calling. Number one, look at verse 36. It says there was one Anna, a prophetess. Now, in Joel chapter 2, he, God said he will pour out his spirit on all flesh, on male and females. Not just the man thing, but all people thing. Old men, young men. In fact, he talks about male and female at the beginning of that prophecy, and then he talks about male and female at the end of that prophecy. And what we see here is we see an older man and an older woman, and they're speaking the things of God. In order to be a prophet, the mouthpiece of God, then you have to be someone that does a deep dive into the Scriptures. You have to know the Word of God. Like, you know, prophets have a, the ability to, to teach deeply, you look at the old testament prophets all they did they they knew the word of god and then they walked out into the onto the scene they looked at the situation and then they began to apply the word of god to the lives of people usually in pointing out the stuff they're doing wrong they, you know, you aren't just, you aren't righteous, you know, you're walking in sin and disobedience and on and on and on and on it goes. And the, the prophet is pointing out all of the sins of the people. That's what prophets do. They're just wired to do that kind of thing. And as a prophet, she has done her diligence, she knows the word of God and she's able to speak intelligently and accurately about the things of God. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul makes a a statement about the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy today is don't think about predicting the future, right? Think about, prophets were were issue-oriented. They they are able to to, to get into the word of God, and then they see issues in life, and they have to, to drop the scriptures on top of that and say, no, this isn't right before God. They see everything through the lens of Scripture, and so they point out a lot of things. Some people think the prophets are judgmental. But it's not that you're judgmental. It's just you can't help but you say, well, this is wrong before God. Because you're moved by what God says. Paul says to those in Corinth who were uh, fighting to try to get the showy gifts, He said, let love be your highest goal, but also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the gift of prophecy. If your gift is the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking to God, but not to people. Since they won't be able to understand you, you'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it'll all be mysterious. But, he says, verse 3, one who prophesies is helping others grow in the Lord encouraging and comforting them. The person who is able to do a deep dive into the scriptures and to share the scriptures with people, to apply the scriptures to the lives of people, they bless people, they build up people, they benefit people. And see, our goal is to raise up a whole church full of prophets. Using our discipleship courses. Amen, amen. So you sign up for the next series that comes up in the spring. Sign up and let's, let's, let's go to it and build up ourselves on our most holy faith. Good stuff, good stuff. If you don't believe that the discipleship course is a good good thing, then just ask any of the people that have been through the discipleship course. Yeah, any one of them. They'll tell you. I don't have to pay them. They'll tell you. This is good stuff. A person who speaks in tongues, an unknown language, is strengthened personally in the Lord, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. You and I can have a ministry of building up people if we get into the word of God. Anna was like that. She had an important calling. But not only that, not only did she have an important calling in teaching the word of God, but she had a she had a past connection. I, I really love this. Thing that luke says about her it seems like it may not even be that important he says the daughter of phanuel of the tribe of asher and and the reason that that stands out as often as i read that i think of what happened in second chronicles 30 you got hezekiah when he's on the throne and hezekiah is convinced by god that he needs to have the passover because they hadn't been celebrating the passover And so the Passover is for all of God's people. And so what he does is is he sends out invitations. He didn't just send them out to the people all over Judah. He didn't just send them out to the people in Benjamin. He sent them out to all of the northern tribes, everybody. He said, listen, come back to God. Come back and celebrate God's Passover. This is where you belong. And, of course, verses 1 through 11 of 2 Chronicles 30, if you read that, It says that you know a lot of people, they mocked the messengers and, and they disregarded them. They're like, we're not coming back down. They were so steeped in their idolatrous practices that they were not willing to come back to God. It says, but some came back. Some from the tribe of Asher made their way back to Jerusalem. And here this woman She's, she's living in Jerusalem. and She's living in Jerusalem because way back when, somebody in her family history decided that they were going to get right with God. They decided that, that they were going to honor the Lord, and they came back, and they began to live out their faith, and now she is the recipient of their decisions. And that that struck me because I, I think, you know, you know, I'm where I am today. In fact, I think a lot of us will say, "You know, we're where we are today. Maybe we're saved today. Maybe we're right with God today." Because you know, we had a we had a praying grandmother, and she walked with the Lord, or maybe a maybe a great grandmother, a great grandfather, somebody down the line. They made a decision, and the blessing of God not only fell on them, but the blessing of God came along and it overtook us. And we're blessed by God today precisely because of decisions they made. Now, that's an important point to me because I want that to be true of my descendants. I want that to be true of my, my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, Alan McFarlane. And he says, he says I, want, I want the drippings of God right he's not talking about blame i want the the drippings the blessing of god to come on me and i want it to flow down to my kids and my grandkids and that's what i want see the reason that i want to walk with the lord the reason i want to serve him with all my heart the reason i want his blessing to follow me is because i wanted to spill over and i wanted to touch my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren Don't underestimate the importance of your walk with the Lord today and the impact that it's going to have in the future. You know, Jesus says in in John 14, excuse me, John 17, he's praying for his disciples, and he says, he says, Father, for their sakes, I sanctify myself, Right? I, I, I set myself apart to you for their sake. And I think, you know, I need to imitate Christ. And I need to be all that I can be, as the uh, people say in the military. But not just for the government's sake, but for the Lord's sake. She had that connection to her past. She was blessed because somebody in her past decided to walk with the Lord. The second thing, Anna is a great example because she had impeccable character. That is something you see that in all three of these women, right? Elizabeth had great character. Mary had great character. Anna had great character. What does God want from me? Great character, right? He don't want me to be a character. He wants me to walk. In character, to honor him and, and to love him and to pay attention to what he says and to do what he says. And it says here, it says, she was of great age and lived with the husband seven years from her virginity and then this woman was a widow of about 84 years. Now, the debate rages as to whether or not she was 84 years after her husband's died, right? Or if she lived after her husband's died till the age of 84. We're not sure which of those is the case because you can make a case in the language for either one. But nevertheless, regardless, that's a long time to walk with the Lord as a widow. You know, God cares a a lot for widows and and the fact that, that this woman in spite of the fact that, that her husband died apparently she didn't have any kids because she's staying in the temple night and day she has no other place to to go it doesn't say that, that she got bitter or angry or resentful or to run out to get anything for herself no instead listen she served god with all of her heart and her might Right? It it says that that this woman stayed in the temple all of that time. Served God with fastings and prayers night and day. You know, many times you and I, we spend all the time asking for what we want. Thinking about ourselves and not about other people. You know, it's the Christmas season. And, you know, I, I told you before, all the kids, they write the little the little uh, letters to Santa asking for things. And that's what I was telling you about. Some of those kids, that they have that hard time, so they write the letter to Santa. And one kid trying to butter Santa up. He says, when you come to my house, Santa, there'll be cookies for you. But if you're real hungry, you can use our phone and order a pizza to go. I mean, just help yourself. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you, right? Another kid says, Santa, I, I want a puppy. And I want a playhouse. Thank you. I've been good most of the time. I mean, sometimes I'm wild, but most of the time. You now, one of the four-year-olds was the most honest in the bunch. She says, saying, I'll take anything, because I haven't been that good. You know, i am I'm I got no leg to stand on. And of course, one kid says, saying, I'm not going to ask for a lot. Here's my list. After sketch animator. Two packs of number two pencils, Crayola fat markers, and the big gift—my own color TV. And he thought about it. Said, "Well, maybe you could drop the pencils. I don't want to be really selfish, you know. I just, I just, I just, just uh, don't want to be too much there." Anna wasn't one of those people that only thought about herself and what she needed and, and what she liked and how pitiful her life was and what she felt she deserved. No, she served God with her whole heart. But she's a great role model for you and for me in this world where people come into the world with the gimmies, And that's all they think about. And she was a widow which caused shows, um, I mean, I I did a little, at least a little side thing here. God cares a lot for poor people. And we ought to. In fact, in Israel, you know, if you looking at your notes, you know, God's concern for the people in the Old Testament, there were three at risk groups in Israel, aliens and orphans and widows. And the reason that they were at risk is because when God gave His people the land, they parceled out the land, and so every person had their own plot of land, and every person was able to be self-sustaining because they could grow what they needed and have what they needed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if if you now usually it was done with the men, the sons, right? Um, Because if if you had a daughter, once she married somebody else, then she wasn't going to be a part of the family anymore. So it stayed with the sons and the grandsons. Well, of course, if, if, if you were married and your husband died, what do you have? You don't have anything. If you're an orphan, you don't have anything. If you're an alien, you're an immigrant, and you come into a land, you don't have anything. The only way you can survive is to beg, borrow, or steal, right? And so these people were the ones that were always being taken advantage of because they were not self-sustaining. And, you know, today we have people who are not self-sustaining and they depend on the government. And, you know, when you depend on others For mercy, And then you find out that they don't have any mercy. You're in a bad way. And sometimes it could be that way. And so God was very concerned about them. And in fact, what he did is he made provision for them in his law. In Deuteronomy, God took up their case. He says, the Lord your God is God of God and Lord of Lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who doesn't show partiality or take a a bribe. Next slide. He executes judgment for the orphans and the widow. And he shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So you show your love for the alien, right? Because, you know, you used to be an alien yourself down in, in Egypt, right? So fear the Lord your God. See, don't just dismiss people who are helpless and hurting. You ought to care about them. Because God cares about them. And what we saw then is that they developed a whole system. When you got into the New Testament, they developed an elaborate system for taking care of widows. In fact, Paul gives instructions about that in 1 Timothy 5. He said the church should care for any widow who has no one else to care for her. Because she's family, Right. But, he says, and this is an important point, this is why I put this in here, if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. It is not the government's responsibility to take care of my parents. It's our responsibility to take care of our parents. You know. And you say, well, the government is, has provided these subsidies. Yeah, uh, but you need to be responsible for making sure that they get what they need. In fact, he says this is something that pleases God very much. He says a woman who is a true widow is one who is truly alone in this world. She's placed her hope in God. Night and day she asks God for help and spends much time in prayer. The way that that's put there in verse 5 is exactly how Luke describes Anna's situation here in Luke chapter 2. And I believe that is because, you know, Luke Spent all that time with Paul that he deliberately puts this statement here about Anna to say she was a widow indeed and was being taken care of because she's a righteous widow. He says, but the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead. Verses 8 through 10 says those who won't care for their own relatives, especially those living in the same household, or uh, it could be those who are from the same household, have denied what we believe. Such people are worse than unbelievers. The unbeliever doesn't care about family. But if you know God, if Christ has saved you, you have to care about family. He puts his love in you. And apparently they had a list of widows. But Paul says, you can't just put anybody on that list. (laughs) He says, the list of support must be a woman who was at least 60. And that was in that age. That's, you know, maybe it should be 75 today. And was faithful to her husband. She must be well respected by everyone because of the good she's done. And what does that look like? Then he gives different scenarios as to what that might look like. That doesn't mean that she has to have done all of these things. These are examples of what godliness looks like. But the church should be taking care of godly women. Anna was a widow, and she spent all of her time in prayer and fasting with God. And and because of that, uh, she's a great role model for you and me, because she didn't spend her time whining and complaining. She spent her time serving, praising praying for others that was her ministry to the body third thing the final thing is that she had an inspiring commission inspiring commission and this of course obviously takes us into the last verse here verse 38 coming in at that instant when Simeon was waxing eloquent about the child Jesus she did two things number one first thing she did was she gave thanks to God Right. She she thanked God for his gift. The gift of God is his son, Jesus Christ. You know, I was I was talking to uh, one of my coworkers workers um, when I worked in, in at Rite Aid in Michigan. And, you know, he knew I was a pharmacist. So he uh, I mean, he knew I was a pastor. Sorry. And so when I was there working with them, someone had left a, a track on the counter and because he knew I was a Christian, he thought I had left the track. So he said, "Yeah, Ray, I just um, I saw this little booklet you gave me, you know, or you left for me, you know, to tell me about God." And I said, "Well, actually, I didn't leave that booklet." I said, "But you know what? I can tell you about God in five words. Five words, ten statements. That's all, because you know we still working, <laughs> and we got people coming to get their scripts, you know, and." So I said, okay, here we go. Five words. First word, grace, right? This is what we teach evangelism, grace. Two statements. Heaven's a free gift. Salvation, it's a free gift. It's not earned. It's not deserved, right? You can't earn it. why. You know, the second word, man, because man is a sinner. He can't save himself. See, if you were going to save yourself again, you'd have to be perfect, but guess what you ain't right and you ain't ever gonna be in this life right and so you say well well from this day on i'm gonna turn over a new leaf and i ain't gonna sin no more well of course you just lied when you said that but you know even if you could go the rest of your life and still not sin again you could not earn salvation because you know you got all that past too right and there is one life you can't earn salvation. Salvation would have to be a free gift because you can't earn it. Right? And then the third word is God. Right? God, he's, he's merciful. Right? The scripture says God is love. 1 John 5, uh, excuse me, 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8 says God, he's love. Right? And because he's loved, he doesn't want to punish me. God doesn't want to punish you. But it's just that the same God who is loved and doesn't want to punish you, he's also just. And he has to punish sin. God doesn't wink at sin. God doesn't say, well, I mean, nobody's perfect. I'll let you slide. No, because God is just. His justice breaks out against sin. It's in his character to punish sin. And so then I can never earn salvation because I'm a sinner. And I can never stand before a just and holy God and say that I deserve to be in his presence because I'm a sinner. But he loves me. And he wants, to, he wants to give me salvation, eternal life, a place in heaven. So then the question becomes, and I said to him, how can... A just how can a loving God give me salvation, eternal life and, and still be just? Now let him think about that for a minute and I said, you know God solved that problem. He sent his son Jesus Christ right? Jesus Christ or Christ is the fourth word uh, but you know what I said I said listen Jesus he's, he's, he's the God man. Only a God-man can bring God and man together. But Christ, he took on flesh. And, and you know what he did in his flesh? He, he He lived a righteous life. And then he died on the cross. He died to pay the penalty for my sin. And then he lived a righteous life to purchase a place. When he got up from the dead, he purchased a place in heaven for me. And, and then he... offers it as a free gift. I said, man, you don't don't have to try to earn something that you can't earn. You don't have to try to do something that you can't do. God, he offers you the gift of eternal life because it's been paid for by his son, Jesus Christ. And I said, the last word, the last word is faith. How do you get the gift? The gift is received by faith. You just gotta, faith isn't just believing something in your head. Faith is Trusting it with your heart. Faith is, is trusting Jesus Christ alone to pay for your sin. And I say, Listen, that's that's what you gotta do. If if you're willing to receive Jesus as Savior, God will forgive your sin. And he'll make you right with Him and grant you heaven. See the the gift of God, that little package, Jesus, he, he came to live a righteous life for you. And he came to die a horrible death for your sin. He's the only one that could do that. And, and that's why we, we celebrate Christmas. This is why Christmas is so precious to us. Because the gift of God is everything that we needed. And, and then some. And more. And, and so we get, to, we get to talk about that to people and say listen I don't care who you are I don't care what you've done you can never go so far that the gift of God can't reach you God is able to save the scripture says to the uttermost all that come to God by him and as brother Harvey used to say he saves to the uttermost and guttermost all who come to God by him and then it says that when she gave thanks to God for that gift, and then it says she, she went on and she spoke of him to all those who look for redemption in, in Jerusalem. She just she just couldn't couldn't keep it to herself. She just couldn't couldn't stop talking about it. Everyone that she came in contact with, she had to talk about the fact the gift of God is here. I just saw the gift of God. And you and I have this incredible purpose, to to talk to people. We have this wonderful privilege to share with people the gift of God, eternal life found in his son Jesus. Jesus came to rescue us from sin. Well, let me end by giving you three quick points. Three quick points. I'll read them, and there they are, so you won't be saying three more points. You know, I know how y'all think. Three points. Number one, this Christmas, set aside your problems and complaints and just instead celebrate God's generosity. Think about all that he's done and all that he's doing. Think about the fact that he sent his son to rescue you out of sheer generosity because there's nothing you had to offer him. Put aside your problems and complaints. Let Christmas be the time that you appreciate God for what he's done. Number two, take time from your business and your leisure to focus on God's power and his love. And you can focus on the football game or you can focus on the one who came to rescue you and do for you what the football game couldn't do. Deliver you from sin. Stop long enough to say, Lord, thank you. Forgive me what I never deserved. And then, rehearse the splendid surprise of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's, That's a long way of saying, it. just tell somebody. Tell somebody what he's done for you. Be like the the lepers that, uh, that went out um, and into the enemy camp, and they said, listen, we, if we stay here, we're going to die of starvation. If we go over there and they kill us, we're going to die anyway. That's going over here. May they give us some food. And they went into the camp, and there was nobody there. But there's food all over the place and clothes, and apparently the enemy had run off in sheer terror overnight. And they ate, and then they packed some to go, and one of them said, oh, no, wait a minute, man, come on. This, is, this news is too good for us to keep to ourselves. We, we got to tell somebody. And he went back and told the king. And God brought deliverance to the nation because those people, they shared the gift. You and I, we have the greatest news ever given for the greatest need that ever existed. That's Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, and we can give Christ away all the time. Let's marvel it all that he's done. Father, thank you so much again for this day, and thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gift of gifts, your son, the Lord Jesus. Father, uh, in this season where we think about his coming, we don't want to lose the marvel of the mystery that God took on flesh and came and dwelt among us. Uh, we don't want to dismiss the importance of the story. And even though the world doesn't, uh, it desires to stay in darkness, the light is coming to the world. And we are partakers of that light and we get to share that light. May we not be so negligent or self-indulgent or self-absorbed or selfish that we don't share the great resource of heaven, the eternal life offered through Christ. May we tell everyone, this is why he came. This is why the season has meaning for us. Strengthen us to love the story. And to love telling the story. May we rejoice in Christ. And I pray, Father, again, that perhaps there is someone here or under the sound of my voice. Who, again, cannot say in all honesty that they know Christ and the pardoning of their sins. Maybe maybe they've heard the story several times. And, and maybe they know that Christ came to rescue them from sin. And yet Satan, he pours into their minds that one uh, Spanish word, "mignon." They'll, they'll, they'll do it tomorrow. And then when tomorrow comes, there'll be another tomorrow and another excuse. And then tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow until their hearts are hardened. May today be the day that they decide that Christ is just too good to pass by. And that they'll surrender their heart to him today. That you'll save them today. And, Father, help us to rejoice in that salvation and to share with others. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Mm -hmm. Amen.